0: And welcome to episode... <laughs> I guess I wasn't ready. <laughs> One more time. <laughs> Are you going to trim it? Or no? No? Okay. Hello and welcome to episode 226 of... How you say? I'm just kidding. Oh no. That's what happened. Okay. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> i I know i'm not supposed to laugh so now i'm laughing okay okay i get it i got this <laughs> i can do this professional ghoulia where are you <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying not to laugh Hello, and welcome to episode 226 of SMARTS, which, as you know, stands for Suspicious Man Adopts Ruse to Supplant. Ooh. Ooh. I am your host, Julia Guglia of Internet <laughs> Fame, and Dash Podcaster, and with me as always is Trevor, a.k.a. Rudiger Podcaster.
1: The wheels, the wheels. <laughs> they're,
0: they're gone. They're in pieces on the highway somewhere. All right. Oh my God! Oh, so, so we bad. have some exciting news this week. Oh, do tell.
1: Yes. <laughs> news is wheels <laughs> gone. No. Um, totally gone. So DC announced a bunch of exciting new upcoming projects uh, this week. Uh huh. And so some of them have to do with uh, things we've been talking about. So we talked last week about how the Free Comic Book Day issue is going to feature an epilogue to the Flash Forward mini series mm-hmm. uh, featuring Wally West, and it will presumably lead into this five generation timeline by allowing him through the Mobius chair to Access change all, all sorts of all sorts of history. Um, so we have the first news about what exactly is going to follow that. So in May, we're going to get the first of a series of monthly one shots. Each of these one shots will detail one of these new generations. Mm-hmm. So in May we get Generation One Age of Mystery. Whoa. So this is going to be plotted by an all-star lineup of creators and written. Each one will be written by a different writer and drawn by a different artist, but a bunch of people, including Bendis and Joshua Williamson and Dan Jorgens, are going to plot, lay out the whole thing. And I imagine Jeff Johns and Dan DeDio like behind the scenes are sort of like helping map everything out. Um, So I I have here the little solicitation for this. So it says the path to the path to DC's future continues to unfold in Generation One Age of Mysteries. Um, First of five overseas overseas. First of five (laughs) oversized prestige format one shots, each detailing a different age. Uh, Yada, yada, yada uh readers of generation one age of mysteries will witness firsthand major events from throughout the history of the dc universe as seen through the eyes of characters like wonder woman lucius fox alfred pennyworth green lantern alan scott the specter jim corrigan mr terrific terry sloan and others the series of one shots will also expose secrets from dc's history such as what was the previously undocumented big bang of the age of mysteries which character truly ushers in the dawn of superheroes inspiring all the rest What was the real reason behind the Justice Society of America's retirement? Which Golden Age hero will become history's greatest villain? What contentious alliance kept the Wayne family dynasty alive after Thomas and Martha's deaths? Who were the new never-before-seen wildcards that will be instrumental in fashioning DC's push to the future? So those are some of the questions we'll see answered in this one. Ooh. So these five books will all have the an- will have the answers to all these questions, setting up DC's boldest storylines ever, while laying the grand- continuing to from mm-hmm. the press release, laying the groundwork for more excitement to come. The five generations issues will feature a who's who of creative talent with an overarching story by Brian Michael Bendis, Dan Jurgens, Andy Schmidt, Robert Venditti, and Joshua Williamson. Yada yada yada. Um, each of generation, DC's Generation 1 shots will feature a cover by Jim Chung and a variant cover by Gary Frank. So here are the names of the, the other ones. Generation 2, Age of the Age of the Metahuman. Generation 3, Age of Crisis. Generation 4, Age of Rebirth. And Generation 5, Age of Tomorrow. Whoa. So each one of these will follow monthly uh, with the first one coming out, which is this Age of Mysteries, Generation 1 in May. So this gives us sort of the broad strokes of what this mm-hmm. this is going to be so we know characters like you know, the Justice Society, but also Alfred and Lucius will play into this first one, firmly planting all those characters in the 1930s and 1940s, Yeah. right? Yeah. Which is a big change. Um, We can sort of infer from the, the titles of the other ones. So Age of Mysteries, I'm assuming covers from the late 30s to early 40s, depending on when, you know, Wonder Woman's debut is, through, based on this description the justice society's retirement which was during the joe mccarthy hearings traditionally in mm-hmm. the and you know other continuities in the mid 50s so it would cover those sort of so the 30s through the 50s um the second generation age of the metahuman that sounds like the silver age basically so the the second generation of heroes the ones where that were sort of retroactively called mm-hmm. metahumans um such as i mean hal jordan wasn't a metahuman but basically the justice league characters like you know Barry Allen, the Barry Allen Flash, Hal Jordan, Mm -hmm. you know, Ray Palmer, those characters. Um, So that would be the Age of the Metahuman, which would presumably cover the late 50s through the 60s and the 70s. And you've got Age of Crisis. Crisis was 1985 to 1986, so that would presumably be the centerpiece. Um, So there we're looking at probably um, what you might call Bronze Age characters, Raven, Starfire, Cyborg, Um, Deathstroke, The New Teen Titans, um, and then leading up to Crisis. And so segueing into, um, you know, Wally West becoming The Flash and things like that. Um, And then maybe moving into the early 90s. uh, And then then you go all the way from Age of Crisis to Age of Rebirth. Rebirth was only a few years ago, so Mm -hmm. maybe that term might be applied a bit more loosely. But somewhere in there, we're going to get things like, you know, Tim Drake, Kyle Rayner, um, Young Justice an age of rebirth is presumably like the new 52 to modern era somewhere in there so characters like like we just said but also characters like cassandra kane kate kane jaime reyes stuff like that and then age of tomorrow um could mean all sorts of things it could mean that the fifth generation according to this timeline is a thousand years in the future with the legion or it could just be referring to Uh, characters which are sort of the next generation that we're seeing now, like John Kent, Damian Wayne, characters like that, Mm -hmm. Wally's kids maybe if they're part of this new timeline, right? Right? Um, So those are sort of the broad strokes. So it seems like each generation is going to encompass roughly 20 years, Mm -hmm. which is basically what a generation is. So you'd have the 30s through the 50s, the 50s through the 70s, the 70s through the 80s or 90s, the 90s through the 2000s, and then the present basically. Um, so that seems like it all hangs together pretty well. The names seem fairly appropriate. Um, I guess you could call instead of Age of the Metahuman, since that was sort of a retroactive term that was come up with in the '90s and then applied retroactively to, to a lot of superheroes. You could have called that, you know, the Space Age or the right. Age, the Age of the Atom or the Age, or whatever you would want to call it, right? Yeah. Uh, or you know, literally just call. It, you could have l- literally also call them the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age. You know. Yeah. The new age and the the rebirth age or something like that, but mm-hmm. um, but broad strokes, it seems like we're we're getting a better sense of what's going to fall where and what how each of these eras are going to line up and the kind of characters that are at least going to fall into the first of those. So we know that we're going to get. So this is going to be take a while to spool out then because we're it's going to be five thick books coming out once a month for five months each of them detailing another of these eras and then presumably at the end of all that mm-hmm. there'll be some sort of relaunch or break or renumbering where all the titles will now reflect this new timeline yeah. but this first one doesn't come out till late May so then we're looking at June July August September so mm-hmm. it won't be till the fall you know we're in February now and it won't be till the fall at the earliest that mm-hmm. we start to see this possibly applied line-wide So that gives us seven or eight months of, uh, you know, of the current creative teams to, I guess, wrap up whatever storylines they're telling because it seems like things are going to be pretty different come September. Yeah. Um, Or even come
0: May when the first one of these drops.
1: Well, I mean, it's going to – those are going to start to raise – like once we start to get the first stories set in this new timeline, it will be a lot – we'll immediately start to see, okay, well – there's no way this storyline is going to continue past September because this character would be 120 years old, yeah. right? So that's going to have to wrap up. Yeah. Other storylines could potentially continue somewhat if they feature younger characters or are already set in the past or the future. Like this presumably wouldn't affect the Legion of Superheroes book too much, for yeah. example. Mm-hmm. Or the the book that Scott Snyder is apparently planning, which is, you know, about the Justice Society in the 40s. That would presumably be set in this t- new timeline and, and wouldn't need to be retooled based on this. Um, but yeah, there's going to be a lot that's going to Going to change apparently. So that's just the first of these new new projects that they announced. Um, this is interesting. So they also announced a new um, limited series called Batman: The Adventure Adventures Continue. This is literally a continuation of Batman: The Animated Series, huh? uh, written by Alan Burnett and Paul Dini, with art by Ty Templeton, who's done a ton of like animated style comics before. Oh my! So this is what? going to be Paul Dini and Alan Burnett returning to the animated continuity. They've got a cover. Uh, drawn by Dave Johnson, I think, that's got, you know, classic revamp, you know, the new Batman Adventures era Batman, you know, little shorty Tim Drake, Barbara Gordon and Mullet Nightwing, you know, running towards oh the camera. My. Mm-hmm. E- so apparently the part of the reason why they're doing this is, and, you know, we'll, we'll, it doesn't really matter what the reason is. We'll take it however we can get it. But apparently there's this new line of action figures coming out which are going to take Batman characters that didn't appear in the cartoon mm-hmm. and render them in the animated style and release them as action figures. So this is supposed to sort of tie into that. So apparently, based on the interview with Paul Dini that I read, this is going to somehow retroactively introduce Jason Todd into the animated continuity. And, of Ooh. course, he never existed there. He went straight from Dick, Grace, Dick Grayson to Tim Drake, even though Tim Drake was basically Jason Todd in all but name. Um, they're going, this is going to somehow introduce that. And so I would assume that that will be done in a flashback and then in the present they'll introduce Red Hood into the animated right. continuity. Um, so yeah so this is a big thing so I, I imagine Paul Dini is scripting and Alan Burnett is just sort of like consulting on the story or something right. uh, <clears throat> drawn by Ty Templeton that's fantastic he's done a bunch of animated stuff and so this is going to be a digital first series uh, like Injustice and many other series before it and then being compiled into print later um, and it's going to start in uh, I think in April digital first and then will be in print in May yep and then the third of these projects, is something that we also had uh, sort of hinted at last week, the uh, Scott Snyder's uh, follow-up to his Justice League run, simultaneously his sequel to Dark Knight's Metal. It was formally announced this week, so it's going to be Dark Knight's Death Metal. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the sequel to Dark Knight's Metal. And we'll follow up from his Justice League run, Perpetua and her, you know, her way of things have sort of taken sway over the entire universe. The heroes are scattered and, in, in some cases, powerless and, and the sort of hellscape Mm-hmm. And so they've got to come together. What's What's interesting here, um, because, of course, Scott Snyder has said that Last Night on Earth was his final Batman story. And, of course, Batman is going to be in this as as he was in his Justice League story. Mm-hmm. But uh, but Wonder Woman is apparently going to be at the front of the storyline. Scott Snyder's never really written Wonder Woman um, in any sort of starring role. Of course, she played a big role in his Justice League run. Mm-hmm. Um, but not as big as, you might say, you know, Martian Manhunter or Hawkgirl or, yeah. you know, Superman or Batman, right? Um, so it's going to be sort of a starring role for her with Superman and Batman and a bunch of other heroes also there. But it will be his first opportunity to sort of write her in a starring role. And yeah. it will be, you know, like Dark Knight's Metal, the craziness, but cranked up to 11. I think they said that they're going to introduce other crazy multiverse versions of Batman. Um, obviously, um, the the Dark Knights from Dark Knight's Metal and the the Batman Who Laughs were big hits. Yeah. Um, but they said they're going crazier this time. I, say, I think he said he hinted at one, which is... Uh, a Batman who's dying and his last resort is to upload his consciousness into the into the AI of the mechanical dinosaur in the Batcave. So you're uh-huh. going to get a Batman who's literally a robot dinosaur. Yes. Um, so that's just a this, that's a taste <laughs> of the sort of level of uh, of craziness that we're in for with this. That's awesome. And gonna... based on the interview, this is also going to maybe help set up the new timeline thing also, because as we said at the end of the Justice League run, mm-hmm. it really seems like they're hinting at that with, oh, you know, we've got a. This is going to take all of your past, you know, even things you might have forgotten. It's like, oh, they're hinting at the new timeline. Yep. Um, And if this starts in May and runs for six or seven issues, it would line up pretty well with the presumed relaunch now we're looking at in September. So that would make sense there also. Yeah. I have to think that a lot of things, um, uh, Joshua Williamson's Flash run, um, Wonder Woman, this um, obviously the stuff we're seeing in Flash Forward now, which we're going to talk about, um, that a lot of different threads are all going to converge over the course of the summer and lead into the, the new thing in September. Yeah. So I think that we're going to see more and more things setting it up in different ways. But but those are some exciting projects, right? Yeah, so we'll no start kidding. to get the um, first issue of all these things in uh, in May.
0: Yeah, wow. That's awesome. So I what was your wait. comic of the week? So this week I picked uh, Alfred Pennyworth dies. Issue number one. That's it. (laughs) Batman Pennyworth, is it? Batman Pennyworth, number
1: one? Pennyworth R.I.P., yes.
0: Pennyworth R.I.P. All right, well, I got there eventually. Actually, I didn't. You needed to give me the title. Um, I like this. This was basically the story of the Bat Family mourning Alfred's loss framed in a really interesting way in that they... In the will, Alfred said that he wanted them all to take a night off, to talk, to be a family together, and to mourn, and just not be in danger for one night. That was in his will, that was one of his last wishes for them all to just be together. And um, each of them have a different memory of Alfred um, that they're told in different art styles, which was fantastic that illustrate one of the many reasons why we love Alfred so much and also why Batman can't even bring himself to to raise his glass in a toast right there because he's just so shattered um by his loss so it's just it was really beautifully done it was um beautifully written and I like the that the voices of each character came through very clearly in their memories, including how um, Dick remains kind and insightful, even though in this iteration he's Rick because he hasn't gotten his memories back yet.
1: Um, yeah, it's it takes place. There's a little editor's note. It takes place prior to the the most recent events in the Nightwing series, right. where he's starting to sort of get get some of that back. Right. So For right. simplicity's sake, they just say it's prior to all of that.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. And so even there, he's insightful, he's kind, he's empathetic, but he still doesn't hold back to say the truth. Um,
1: One could argue that that not having all of the baggage with these people, good and bad, allows him a certain level of objectivity when it comes yeah. to sort of diagnosing their dysfunction, right? It's Whereas true. the others are all so close to it and they've got, you know... And maybe that's why it was written this way. And maybe
0: that's why it was written this way because the the writer wanted this element of it. And he's like, I'm just one issue shy of this. So they're like, OK, we'll just write in the editor's note that, hey, it took place before this. Because um, if you need this for a story framing device, then that makes a lot of sense. Um, It was just a really good issue. And I love how loving and awesome Alfred is. And beyond that, how capable and wonderful and giving and talented he is, and so mourning his loss is definitely something that um, I know that the characters would each have in their own way, and it was just one beautiful thing that he also wanted them to get together and be a family. Um, And I love the splash page of how they're able to take a night off in Gotham with Batwoman, Orphan, and who else um Catwoman was there also Catwoman was there yeah she was headlining the whole thing um who else um I don't remember somebody else was flying through the sky with all of them I
1: think it was Huntress I'm not sure I don't recall seeing her there it Um, doesn't really matter
0: yeah but it was great it was it was wonderful like that that one nonverbal page illustrates like that Gotham is not abandoned for the night it's just you know being like somebody else is uh, coming to take a shift and that's great um I just, I really love this. I love the art and I love the stories and it was great. So that's why I picked it for my comic of the week. Mm-hmm. What'd you pick?
1: So I picked Superman Heroes, number one, which is a similar nice. sort of anthology one shot featuring a bunch of different stories following up on different characters and different relationships in the wake of Superman revealing his secret identity. So we got some great scenes between him and Lois. There's a I great remember scene this, between yeah. him and Jimmy. Probably my favorite scene in the issue.
0: Was Batman and Wonder Woman? Was the
1: scene that Greg Rucker wrote oh. between Batman and Wonder yeah. Woman. yeah. Um, yeah, just a lot of really interesting perspectives. There's a great scene where he goes back to Smallville and talks to like a, a really formative teacher that he had. Yes, um, that was and one I of my favorites. I wonder if that was a Kingdom Come reference because he calls him Mr. McKay and he's he's got gray hair and a beard. And of course, Norman McKay was oh. the reverend from Kingdom Come. So I wonder if that's supposed to be the same character. Maybe I don't know, or a different version of the same character. It seems a little too coincidental to me, but it could—it's it's a reference. I—I I would suspect, if nothing else. Cool. Um,
0: That's really cool. I thought it was a South Park reference.
1: <laughs> why is it? Why would it be a South Park? Because
0: reference? one of their teachers always, always, always says okay, but. Y- that they call him Mr. Mackey, but when you look at how the name is spelled, it's spelled M K in this exact mm. way. I think it's so more likely it was, to be Kingdom Come yeah. reference. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah, <laughs> you
1: know, just a lot of really nice stories. The one between him and Jimmy was sweet. There's some great scenes with with him and Lois. There's a great scene where Lois takes him to like this uh, this building she's rented where she's sorting the the mail that he's gotten yes. into different piles. Uh, and they're like, oh, you know, this isn't that bad. And she's like, no, these are the ones for me. The ones for you are in that in building over b- there. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and the scene between Batman and Wonder Woman is great, where Batman reveals, you know, this—he's—he's he's sort of—he's frustrated about the situation, and you know, Diana thinks she knows why, and then it turns out that it's more—it's more personal and sort of like kind of sweeter in a way. Yeah, that he's—it's not that he's—I mean, he is because of who he is, worried that this is going to make life harder for all of them and make things more dangerous for his family and everything. But, um, but it's kind of just one way that he. Th- that he knows or thinks, at least, who knows whether he's right or not. Wonder Woman suspects that maybe it won't always be the case, but one way that he thinks he won't be able to match Superman, like he's always prided himself on, you know, yep. I'm just a man and he's a Superman, but I've always been able to keep up with him mm-hmm. and, and in some cases even, you know, do him one better. But he's now gone gone somewhere that I can't follow because mm-hmm. that's not who I am and this is not... I it's could not, not go, just, I could not go not out on that though. ledge, yeah. you know. I could not do that to myself and to my family. It's just not the way I'm wired and so he's taken a step that he's he's in some ways he's envious in other ways he's kind of resentful of it it's, it's sort of a really interesting insight that, that is typical of Greg Rucka who's written Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman for you know, off and on for for almost mm-hmm. twenty years now. At this point, and he just knows the characters so well, and he excels in these scenes where just characters sitting around talking about it, which is really all his Lois Lane series. <laughs> it's just characters <laughs> sitting around talking about what's going on, basically. But it's hey, so there's great. There's action because, in that series. Yeah, it's there great. was the, the thing with the Skull Woman who in the last issue, but mostly yeah. it's just characters sitting around talking. But it's it's fine because it's you know, it's Greg rucker writing it. But yeah, yeah, no, this was a really good issue, and then this is going to be followed uh, next month by a Superman villains one shot which is going to show the reactions of, which some of which were hinted at here, Lex Luthor, mm-hmm. amongst other villains, um, and show how they're reacting to yes. this revelation. And the the tease is that um, a villain is even going to switch sides as a result of what happened here. Ooh, that's a
0: good which tease. Which would be interesting is if there's like
1: someone like, maybe someone like Livewire, who's never been like super crazy murderously evil, right. who's kind of inspired by what he did here and decides to... You know, right? To to give a go at being a hero that'd be or interesting, like
0: that. right? Because well, I don't know about her origin. Just a, in just the an series, example. That, I'm just yeah, I'm but thinking. That's a good one. <laughs> I'm thinking kind
1: of a, just before the New Fifty Two, they did something similar where um, they had Livewire, kind of inspired by some recent things that Superman had did, and she kind of became a de facto member of the sort of Superman of America kind of um, pseudo group that was being set up, featuring a bunch of sort of random Superman supporting heroes mm-hmm. that had been floating around for a while. Um, like A Strange Visitor and a few others. I'm trying to remember exactly who. Um, and then all that was gone with The New 52. But I kind of like what they were setting up there. Um, yeah, so that's kind of why that occurred to me. But yeah, it was a really good a really good thing with a bunch of interesting short stories done by the creative teams behind the current Superman title. So Bendis and Matt Fraction from Jimmy Olsen and Greg Rucker from Lois Lane all sort of trading off their respective characters and in many cases the same artists right. that they work on in the other series yep. to tell these sort of fun short stories. Yeah, yeah. it was good. Yeah. So you ready for your pop quiz? I'm ready. So this week, because of the uh, Generation One announcement, I'm going to be quizzing you about lesser known JSA members.
0: Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read you a description of a character. Okay. And I'm you're gonna have to, and I'm gonna give you pos, uh, four different options as far as their alter ego is concerned. You've got to tell me which is the correct one. Okay. All right. I'm so in. number one, Rex Tyler, a scientist researching vitamins and hormone supplements at Bannermain Chemical. Okay. Okay. Is this Sandman, The Atom, Mr. Terrific, or Our Man? Our Man. Yes, it's Our Man. Yeah. All right, number two. Mm -hmm. Wesley Dodds, a wealthy socialite who is assisted by his girlfriend, Diane Belmont, who knows his secret identity. Okay? Mm -hmm. Is this Amazing Man, The Atom, Sandman, or Mr. Terrific? Amazing Man. No, that's Sandman.
0: Sandman. Dang it. I was going to say that. All right. Okay. Number three.
1: Mm -hmm. Al Pratt, college student and later physicist. Mr. Terrific, Amazing Man, Wildcat, or The Atom?
0: Mr. Terrific.
1: No, The Atom. Really? Yep. Okay. All right. Number four. Well,
0: physics. yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. Okay.
1: Terry Sloan, business leader and Renaissance Man. Amazing Man, Mr. Terrific, Red Bee, or Red Torpedo?
0: What? One more time? Which part? <laughs> the beginning part where you tell me his name. Terry
1: <laughs> Sloan, business leader and renaissance man. Okay. Amazing man, Mr. Terrific, Red Bee, or Red Torpedo? Amazing man. No, Mr. Terrific.
0: <sighs> okay.
1: That's where the renaissance man comes in because Mr. Terrific's thing is that he's good at everything, basically. He's terrific at everything. The man of a thousand talents, as they used to call him. Really? Yep.
0: Okay, well, now I know that.
1: Yep, so what'd you get? One. One. It's a low <laughs> score.
0: You should ask more than four questions. Don't shame me in this way. I
1: even, uh, Terry Sloan's name even specifically came up in the blurb George I read you Sloan. for Generation One. It mentioned him as being one of the characters that's going to feature prominently in there alongside Lucius and Alfred well, and you didn't... the Spectre.
0: Okay. Well, that that's very nice. All right. But I missed it.
1: So now we've got our shows. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of shows this week. Star Trek Picard, Doctor Who, Batwoman, Supergirl, Flash, Black Lightning, Legends of Tomorrow, and Harley Quinn. Yes. So we've been talking about Picard last. Do you want to keep doing that? I have it on here first, but I feel like that's the kind of thing we discussed the most.
0: mm -hmm. Mm. Um, Spoilers ahead. So just so you know.
1: So Doctor Who, this one we watched almost a week ago. Uh, This was called Can You Hear Me? So this is an interesting episode where there's like people are having weird dreams. Mm -hmm they're being they're seeing things like this weird creepy bald guy yeah it sort of culminates in this uh sci-fi story about these gods that are using want to use earth as their plaything and like steal nightmare fuel yeah um but it's also sort of an interesting uh character piece kind of we mm-hmm. got an in, uh, interesting insight into graham and like his his fears over his medical condition yeah um yaz and a formative event in, in her past mm-hmm. um which sheds light on her relationship with her family but also potentially why she became a police officer um ryan and a a friend of his and what his friend is going through um and so it all sort of culminates in the end with you know sort of like a science fiction ending but then there's sort of an interesting coda to that too where you sort of see that each of the characters and i think they even some i think there was even like some thing around this where maybe at the end of the broadcast they had like a a phone number you could call for like you know, if you're yeah. you having these, you know, if you're depressed or whatever, call this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's basically like a sci-fi metaphor for discussing, you know, depression, basically, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, and sort of mental health more broadly. Mm-hmm. They, they got a bit of flack, apparently, for the scene where um, Graham goes to the doctor at the end and he kind of wants to open up to her and get some reassurance about what he's feeling and she doesn't oh. really like give anything back to him just because that's not the way she's wired at least in this yeah. incarnation. Yeah. She's like maybe I'll think of something reassuring later and we'll pretend that I said it now, but I'm just that's not, you know? Yeah. Like I'm just not built for that. Um, they took a bit of flack for that because it kind of felt like, I don't know, maybe that was being a little unkind to people who have sort of like social like they're un- like to to say that this the show some people felt the show seemed to be saying that people who are like mildly on the spectrum and unable to to connect with People, as easily as others, would be, like, completely incapable of offering any any comfort in in situations, which is, like, a little uncharitable. I'm not sure they were trying to speak as broadly Broadly as that about, like, the the overall population that are afflicted with this particular condition. I think they were just sort of saying the doctor is not always the best at relating to people and she's not always going to have – be able to say the right thing at the right time. You know, it's just not – you know, which is one of her strengths. So I think it's fine. It didn't really bother me. But I thought this was, I thought this was another good one. Um, Like last week, sort of a a good, I think this season now, like as we were somewhat underwhelmed by that one episode early on, this season, Orphan 55. But I think all the other ones um, that were like sci-fi, standard Doctor Who stories have been really good this season. Mm -hmm. Like really interesting um, supporting characters, really interesting plots. Yep. you know the Some of the lines to felt too
0: dimensional. I mean, I could poke at, poke holes at some of the things that make me feel like this isn't my super favorite season, just because of those moments that are a little too dimensional. There were a moment, there were several moments where I was sort of yelling at the TV, going, uh, "You know, show, don't tell." Um, but but you're you're right. I mean, the overarching story. Um, I have been enjoying the the stories definitely especially the last several episodes where the sci-fi really kicked up a notch and and there were some clever twists that I didn't see coming Um, so I think the the show is finding its groove with its new creative team and a few bumps aside it's a really enjoyable ride so
1: yeah I think it kind of it kind of shakes you when you've got a really strong premiere but then the first standard episode is underwhelming like Orphan 55 is you're yeah. like uh-oh is this gonna yeah. be another season like this where the only good episodes wah- are like the mythology wah- episodes yeah, yeah, but then all the ones since then have been have been I would say very good strong. to great so I, would, I think that the yeah, batting I average mean, that has improved.
0: See- that scene that you were describing I mean I think that the Doctor really would have especially in this season like having dealt with these characters for a long time before this and having something to say about death and rebirth um from her own experiences, I think that she could have offered something better than that cheeky scene where she says, I'm going to go over here now. And
1: maybe they were trying to, maybe there was just like, maybe that was trying to be a bit of a tip of the hat to what, she's going through on her own with her own trauma right now with Gallifrey and everything like she's just not in a place right now to be able to like inspire and comfort others but if so they didn't really Get make that, that clear enough yeah you know whether it was part of what many she was playing to, or not yeah. it, it didn't really come across and it would have been easy enough to just have uh, change the line slightly to yeah to nod to the fact that you know like all she had to do was like, you know, you know, you know, right, right yeah. all she had to do was say, like, right now, I'm not in a place where I could do that. Right. As opposed to like, I'm not the kind of person. Well, she who... said
0: not yet. You know, so I think that's what they were trying to do yeah, with that line. Because they were saying that, like that's... like, putting her back in her infancy. But I can tell you moments from like the first season or even better, like where she was talking about some serious issues. Like in the Rosa Parks episode, that was so very well written. And she was very compassionate and... Um, yeah
1: it's not a question of compassion no, though it's a but question of knowing I mean, knowing what to say to comfort. Right. like the doctor's always been very good at delivering grand inspirational sure. speeches and great proclamations. but when it comes to when it comes to relating to her companions or in the past his companions on like a personal level as equals mm. like the the twelfth doctor wasn't super great at offering a, a ton of comfort you know when Clara lost Danny or the eleventh doctor was never super great at comforting never really made much of an effort to comfort um, Amy and Rory when they thought they lost their daughter or go further back or further back or whatever, right? Like it's just not – they sort of blow past it and they're on to the next adventure. And it's not that they don't care. It's just that they sometimes forget the human niceties, you know? And I feel like that's always been pretty consistent about it. So it didn't really bother me that much. Mm. Um, so Batwoman this week. This one was called Take Your Choice. Oh, boy. I have, are all the episode titles – Quotes from Lewis Carroll, because a bunch of them are. And what really? makes me wonder if all of them are, because it would seem odd to only have like half of them be that. I just don't know Lewis Carroll well enough to know if that's the I, case or Yeah,
0: not. no, me either. I mean, I've read those books several times, but no, I don't remember I'll them. I'll have to, well. I
1: could look that up. Um, but this was a good one. A, a couple of a couple of odd um, seeming coincidences or strains of credulity in uh. a couple of places aside, which, you know, these shows have sometimes where characters just... Magically know where they're right. supposed to be, or get there super fast, or whatever, which is just sort of a, a TV thing. Yeah, I've been angry um, about
0: the ending for a bit, but yeah. Well, but I
1: mean, yeah, I, I, it bothers me a little bit too. But I think, as as with always, if the if the um, if the emotional heart of the story is is solid enough, then I find it easy to dismiss those other things. And this was a really good. I kind of knew, kind of saw that this is where it was going because they're not going to have two Bats on the show forever. Sure, Alice is like the most iconic, or really the only iconic Batwoman villain. Yeah, and when you make the villain a series regular, like say Tobias Whale, or you know, or here Alice. Yeah. They're probably not going to kill them. It's one thing if they're like a recurring guest star. You could maybe pull a surprise by killing them partway through the first season. But if they're going to be a series regular, mm-hmm. they're probably going to last at least to the end of the season. You know, yeah, and yeah. be a one-season villain. So it's like they're not. I'm mean, sure they've got the actress there, so they can just transition the actress into playing this other Beth. But I still didn't think they were going to do that because then. Who's the big villain this season going to be? Mouse? Mouse's father? Like they don't have someone else queued up to be the secret big bad, really, right, you know? Right, right. So I knew they weren't going to kill Alice and they set up this thing where only one of them can live and unless they're going to break that rule, which would also be sort of bad form from a storytelling perspective. You set up a problem, you kind of have to solve it. You know, mm-hmm. you have to play clean pool and solve it. Um, one of them's got to die and if it's not going to be Beth, it's not going to be Alice, it's going to be Beth. So when they make you think, so I this is exactly what I thought. I said, oh, She's going to go to Alice. We Mm -hmm. see her walking and she's like, Alice is going to think that she's come to save her, but she's actually already given the serum to Beth and Mm -hmm. she's just coming to comfort her sister as she dies. But then Beth is going to get killed and Alice will surprisingly not die, but will now hate Kate even more for mm -hmm. choosing Beth over her, Mm -hmm. which is pretty much exactly what happened. So um, though I found it a little predictable just because I feel like I've seen this sort of thing enough to sort sort of grasp the shape of it pretty quickly. Um, I think that it was executed well. The writing was good. The performances were good. The the performances were excellent. Death death at the end seemed like a little sudden and head scratchy. Like where all of a sudden there's like 15 different people with sniper rifles all in. How they all know where to go.
0: And why would she risk taking her out of the one place in Gotham City that nobody knows about, which is, i.e., the Batcave? Like she was holed up I think the
1: idea was that eventually they weren't, well... That eventually they were good, they they were going to tear that building apart until they found her, and you, you could either keep her hold up there forever or, and risk that they would find her, or try to get her out of the or try to get her out of there. And if you're going to get her out of there, you got to get her out of the whole city because the whole city is looking for, her, and the, the crows have shoot to kill order. So though it was a risk, I know, and
0: that's what they did. They drove her out of the city limits. That last barricade exactly. was that's them. W- yeah, that's
1: what I'm saying. I say if you if you either have to keep her there, which is a risk because they could eventually find her, or something could you know go wrong um or you can get her out of there and hopefully and also she's what she's going to live her, her whole life there she wants her to be able to live her life finally yeah. after after everything so she took a chance of getting her out of there and letting her have a happy ending but it was just the ending, wrong night was, i
0: mean the, the
1: i guess the solution no <laughs> she seriously she picked the night the, when the sniper convention was in town it was right. an unfortunate
0: but here's the thing though everybody was everybody was hunting for alice and not only that but like she could have just let her sister uh, she could have let alice um, die and oh, then she could have let the deliver- crows find Alice's body exactly, and then yeah, and then, yeah that's yeah, what I was thinking maybe the that whole would have day. Been
1: smarter, because then even if they were even if they would like raise some eyebrows or cause a few frenzied phone calls, if someone happened to see someone who looked exactly like her right. the following week, they presumably wouldn't still have that shoot on sight thing right, exactly. Instituted, yeah, you're right. I, I maybe there's a reason why they didn't do that, that. I'm not thinking of right now, but just in the moment, yeah, that really does seem like a bit of a missed opportunity um yeah oh well but it's still i was that that didn't, didn't occur to me in the moment that's like a fridge moment where it occurs to you at, at least no, it in my case to, it occurred to me didn't not, occur to not me, me. <laughs> yeah. but i still enjoyed it yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. um super this was another good one um back from the future part two is was this one so uh more win more toy man we get to see the original toy man in this some more yeah some more stuff with Braining and lex luther um more stuff with uh, Kara and William so teasing yeah. a bit of a romance for them Some of the some of the um, technical, um, details of this episode seemed a little bizarre, like in terms of the the way that the technology oh, operated yes. within the show. Yes. Like the, DEO, you can't ser- turn off the, the DEO server is apparently like highly a explosive. warp core it's, or something. It's, yeah, it's highly explosive. It's yeah. like it's like in it's like from the red letter media reviews of Star Trek: First Contact. Why do you keep the big canisters uh-huh. of poison flesh melting gas right next to the warp core? Right? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's Not like why sure do you keep why. the
1: highly fla- highly explosive for some reason server farm yeah. on top of like. The nuclear core that powers the DEO and I could destroy the entire city if something were to happen to it. Also, no off switch. What? Well, that's what they're like, oh, we could shut it down, but it would cause the building to explode. Like, okay, that's just bad IT work yeah, right there. that's really and then, poor design. And then apparently Andrea has devised a way in her VR world for yeah, this virtual food to nourish the human body. But she's still stymied a by what? the fact that like... It can give you an anaphylactic Allergy. reaction. It's like, it's like, wait a minute. You've devised a way for virtual food to to give you sustenance. Yeah. And why is that not the story? That's like, you have just solved the world bur- hunger.
0: Yeah, the way to bury the lead.
1: So there were a few things like that that it's like, well, these shows have never, you know, usually these shows are like, well, you know. Yeah. I don't know. There's I, there's a bunch of, there's a funny Penny Arcade comic. It's like, they're trying to steal the internet. Quick, hack their IPs. And it's like, <laughs> you know, Gabe's. Yeah. Head pops open, his brain gets up, puts on a hat and walks out of the movie theater. It's like, well, I guess I'm not needed here. Um, but yeah, like the technical chops of some of these shows are a little, you know, like some of the stuff Felicity would pull or some of the things like, oh, here's a, here's a room. Here's a room where all of the internet is. And that's where <laughs> yeah. they're going. It's like, wait, what? This
0: but is where the, the internet is. But again, room. you know,
1: the emotional stuff, oh like w- the stuff that Wynn was going through here, you know, yeah. him taking the Toy Man name at the end, the stuff between Kara and William was fun. Um, seeing Alex step down as head of the D.E.O. The stuff between Lex and Lena yeah. um, is interesting. Um, I think it's a good. Uh, who, who knows whether they would have killed Lex if they didn't know they were going to bring him back basically immediately. Yeah. Um, but I think that one of the not, one of the best changes these shows have done coming out of the crisis mm-hmm. is. Is what they have done here, which is give Lex Luthor a more permanent role. Yeah, good. How call. permanent will it be? Like, will dun, they move dun, him dun. over to the Superman show next year, or will they keep him here, figuring that that's that's kind of a thing that we haven't seen as much of—is him clashing with Supergirl instead of Superman? And Superman yeah. are gonna, is going to go off and have a different kind of story. Um, I don't know. There's been some interesting. Uh, the pilot script for Superman and Lois, you know, parts of it have leaked apparently. And they're like, oh, you know, they're going to kill off this character and they might bring back this character. And here's the the secret behind their kids and everything. So I don't know how much you want to know about that. but No, um, don't tell me anything. Yeah, I so be it's, it seems like they're, they're really shaking things up over there and telling a different kind of story. So if they, maybe they want to use him in a more standard supervillainous role here. But, yeah, I thought this was good. And Wynn goes off at the end and goes back to his happy life in the future with his new name and, and everything. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, no, it was good. Uh, Flash, this is Love is a Battlefield um the, the 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 stuff here i don't know i can't decide whether ob- obviously um blanking on the name of, well that's also not her name but K- that's nobody's Candace name
0: Payton. Patton,
1: yeah Patton. um okay. but no uh katie sackoff i was like oh. no katie i can't tell if i find her performance to be um, annoying
0: or enchanting
1: like like charmingly campy or just just
0: a little ridiculous uh,
1: ridiculously over the i feel like it's gotten more over the top yeah particularly here i don't know i don't know if i like it or don't like it (laughs) it's a a thin it's a thin line between it's
0: so unique though
1: yeah but it's super good so the story here between her and goldface i'm not sure we were supposed to find like super emotionally compelling it was sort of like a silly yeah way to like mirror their relationship and barry and iris's Did you suspect throughout the whole episode? I mean, when any time they set up that we see Iris, be Iris being pulled into the mirror world, yeah, and then she wakes. She, this episode starts, and she's like waking up on the floor on the other did side.
0: You, did, did you notice that it was on the other side? Because I did.
1: Well, she was no longer in the mirror. Is that what you mean?
0: No, she was on the other side of the mirror. You saw the reflection of the mirror, but it looked different.
1: Hmm. No, I didn't notice. That. I totally did. But did, did. you immediately great. suspect that this wasn't the real Iris, yes. or did you think it was like the real Iris, but she's under control of? the mirror world or something or what did you what or did you know i thought she, gonna, thought
0: she was gonna i thought she was trapped
1: sure i'm just i guess i am did you think Iris this was some trapped. like some like um unwitting reflection of her or like actually a supervillain in disguise or like a creation of a supervillain i or? thought
0: it was some mirror universe version of
1: her with no agency of her own just being like a puppet being controlled by ava mcculloch or with no, some I am just wondering I if, like,
0: full agency. I'm I just, thought this was a different discrete personality in the form, in shape Sort of shape like a of, black
1: kryptonite kind of thing where it's yeah, like a little bit, split mm-hmm. into like the good and bad halves kind of. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I
1: wonder. Or is this just like a reflection being 100% controlled by Eva McCulloch and... Okay, that just, could she, also she be too... She snaps her fingers and this iris goes away and she never had any sort of yeah. sentience to begin with. Yeah. It's kind of hard to tell. But I
0: knew our iris was not on the right, on the correct side. Yeah,
1: I mean... If they hadn't done the sucked into the mirror thing at the end of last episode, I feel like it would be just plausible because even though she and Barry sort of butt heads a little bit in this episode the reasons for it as given by her in this mm-hmm. episode are just plausible enough. Yep. You know, like she's had to she's had to lo- do a lot of maturing and she's uh-huh. had to like spread her wings and she had to prepare for a life without him. So now and she's become a, a lot more independent. Tougher and she's and had to acquire more... new skill sets yeah. and tougher. Like that all is plausible enough that I feel like if they didn't set it up so blatantly with the yep. whole mirror thing at mm-hmm. the end, it would have been a cool reveal at the end of this one that it wasn't really her. But I feel like with the mirror thing at the end of the last episode, yeah. and they remind you of it at the beginning of this one when she wakes up, and she... that it was
0: well, yeah, they remind a little you too of that obvious. Too. No, but I mean the whole the whole I can suddenly cook thing or I speak Italian now thing or anything like that. As I say, that
1: was just plausible enough that, yeah, Barry, they've all been so wrapped up in their own stuff for so long that maybe Barry just didn't notice that she was acquiring all, and we, the audience, because we spend more time watching Barry than Iris, just didn't notice or didn't know that she had acquired, you know. All of these skills, yeah. They've been married for like a couple of years. It's not, doesn't strain that much credulity that they might continue to learn new things about each other, especially if they've been spending time apart because they've been so worried about their own life and death stakes or whatever. Mm -hmm. so that would have been believable to me but i feel like we're primed to suspect it's not the real iris because of the way that the episode begins so it's maybe a bit of a a wasted opportunity um black lightning so this is the final chapter of the book of markovia where they actually invade markovia to Mm -hmm. to get lynn back um they go up against wayne brady
0: yes Uh, this was so good oh my god Oh, my God. I was so happy when I saw him on screen. I was like, oh, my good, sweet, fluffy Lord. And in real life, he's such the nicest guy. Like, all of his interviews and anybody who's um, ever worked with him says the same thing. It's like he's the sweetest, sweetest person you could ever, ever meet. And to have him play such a cold, ruthless, oh, man, leader type, killer, manipulative, bad guy, bad guy, that's just fantastic. But his comedy background, too, like... Um, And his acting background, it's just, it's so strong here. And it's so, so, oh man, it was just so good to see him on on screen and in this role. It was (laughs) good. So awesome. So awesome.
1: (laughs) Unless I'm mistaken, Gravedigger was like um, um, a DC war comic character. But I'm trying to remember if they were they supposed to be like was Gravedigger like a World War II era character, like contemporary of Sergeant Rock, or was he from a different war? But Gravedigger is you is, a, is a character from the wrong comics, but, lady. but I don't I don't remember specifically. But yeah, so I think they sort of retooled him a little bit here. I don't think he was a meta human in the comics, but the, the, here they gave him this sort of power of suggestion, like a sort of a purple man mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, yeah, it was a good one, and so they they end up succeeding at the end. But uh, did Jefferson kill? Wayne Brady or because it the, he, he starts the whole episode saying you know I would do anything even kill to get Lynn back and I yeah. feel like you set that up at the beginning and then at the end you know he's got Lynn right there and Jefferson gives him more lightning than we've ever seen yeah was he supposed to be dead does he even know whether he killed him or not
0: I don't know yeah I don't know he he for sure knocked him out <laughs> but I think we've seen him like knock people out before and I mm, although he knows how many volts to give a person before between you know to, to knock them out but not yeah kill them but although that's a such a fine line by the way because like um a good electrical shock can it just do what it says which is shock your system and whether or not you wake up from that that's completely luck based that's not that's not an application of of um, there's a threshold that you pass by where it's kind of like an on/off switch because you're just sort of resetting your central nervous system and that's that's not a matter of degrees that's a matter of on off let's mm-hmm. so so i'm not sure how that works but comic book science yay
1: yeah so legends of tomorrow this one was called slay anything this was their big 80s episode you know combining uh 80s slasher movies with oh, yes. sort of like rom-com i mean the title is obviously a yeah, combination yeah. of like say slasher movies and, slay and say yeah. anything um I found that for some for some reason I found the mostly the the scenes between Nora and the kid the kid that we were supposed to think was going yes. to turn out to be the killer I found those really like those especially at the end those those were like actually really emotionally affecting like I think a lot Same. of it was down to her performance the the yeah. actor playing the teenage boy was was really good also yep. the twist at the end where you discover that he never really was going to be the killer it was mm-hmm. his mom um, yeah. was was surprising mm-hmm. um, the scenes with uh, you know with Ray and Nate pretending to be like the hip. Teachers. Yes. Uh, <laughs> know, we're
0: your friends. <laughs>
1: you know, with Mick going back to the reunion and rediscovering this woman that, that he was, you know, had a crush on back in high school, but he didn't get to. They said, um, one of the executive producers said that they were kicking themselves later that they, when they were watching the assembled cut, they're like, we really missed an opportunity to have um, like teen, teen Mick and teen Leonard Snart. Like, uh, break it, <gasps> show up, like, oh. having broken out of juvie or whatever, and see what they were like as teenagers. Instead, oh instead, we kind of like, we're like, oh, here's Mick. At the, they set yep. up that he knows these these people. So right, maybe right. we're going to see teen Heatwave and teen Captain Cold yeah. as like best pals, like juvenile delinquents yeah. in the flashback, in like the past sequences. And then we never do. Right. So, I did you kind of think, no. oh, we're going to see it. So, I was kind of waiting for that to happen. We're going to see that they'd cast oh. some teenager who kind of looks like. Heat Dominic weird. Purcell minus thirty thought, years, but we didn't. I
0: thought that we'd see a flashback of him, but I did not extrapolate. Yeah, they were going to have. They, yeah. they thought,
1: oh, we should That's have him and Snart as like as Oops. like eighteen year old punk kids showing yeah. up at the the prom, but then they didn't do that. Hilarious. Um, yeah, and I thought it. I thought it was a you know it was a nice story where this kid and and. So the whole time I was thinking, you know, I know it's I know it's TV, but part of me, especially these days when there's like, unfortunately, so many stories about teenagers, you know, going crazy at their high schools and killing people and doing whatever, right? Um, I'm thinking it's, it's, all, it's all well and good for a TV show, but the idea that you could give this kid one nice night and it's all of a sudden going to change him from yeah. being the kind of person that would murder all of his friends yeah. or not his friends necessarily, but his classmates his peers, to the yeah. kind of person that would live a happy life is very, very facile, like, I, yeah. Maybe for like a TV show, kind of like sort of farcical, like, a, you know, I, it wouldn't bother me, but it's it almost seemed offensive in how, you know, this yeah. day and age, how overly simplistic that was. But, but, you know, thus the revelation that he never was that kind of person. Yeah. He was maybe just going to go off and be a bit of a... A, 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 a weird dweeb for the rest of his life, but he wasn't actually going to hurt and people. And somebody was... who,
0: uh, who knew about his mom and protected her because he took the rap. Right,
1: exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, the guy just who really loved his mom and, yep. and wouldn't really have hurt anyone. He just didn't want his mom to, to be hurt. Yeah, and instead we get the revelation here. Um, yeah, so I, I so I thought that was good. And I, I found the scenes between um, him and her, the, the between uh, Nora and, and him uh, affecting and it, at the so we get, we get more stuff with Constantine going back to like an old family home of his and Charlie is there and yep. she's kind of like on the run from something um, yeah it was a good episode I, I think um,
0: yeah I really enjoyed this episode I also like the podcast jokes that was funny oh the yeah the mattress the mattress <laughs> you use a coupon code
1: to buy a podcast mattress yeah uh, yeah
0: that was good it's informative and uh, what clever yeah like Ava yeah, so yeah exactly funny. like Ava. I
1: feel like characters on this show the longer they're on this show the, the sort of the goofier they become <laughs> yeah like like last episode, he, she was singing. Heatwave wa- he went from being like a, a no nonsense killer arsonist yeah. guy to, to being a like romance a romance novel. author. You know what I mean? It's like, like a
0: best selling. It would. It kind
1: of. Ever. It kind of like makes the whole thing seem a little a little over the top sometimes. <laughs> whereas like, you know, and Ava went from. I mean, all the characters seem to descend into goofiness after yes, a while. I feel I'm like they do. ride that line very well. They do. But she started off at, similarly as like a no nonsense, button down, efficient. Yeah, like a highly skilled fighter, a highly skilled strategist, leader. Right, but I mean, that was at least, that was like a weird sci-fi revelation, but that didn't like make her behave very differently. Right. But then this season we've gotten one who's like, she, she drinks and she like, she's a bad singer and she's got like this weird geeky interest in, in historical murderers and she's got a podcast and you know what I mean? Like that's, yep. you know, nothing nothing's less cool than having a podcast. I mean, let's be yep. honest here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's fine. I feel like the characters... And, and and Katie Lotz has even said this sometimes, where when she guest stars as Sarah on one of the other shows, mm-hmm. it can actually be difficult from the writing to the performance to make it seem like the same character while reflecting when she shows up on Arrow, she has to be the version of Sarah that is on Arrow, which is a very different version of Sarah that is on Legends of Tomorrow. This is the right. kind of thing the comics have to do all the time, right? The Batman that you see in his own series is often very different than the Batman you see hanging out with the Justice League or the Batman you see showing up as a foil in Harley Quinn comics or whatever. Like, you're supposed to believe it's all the same person. We've been trained through a lifetime of reading comics to understand and also the fact that the comics cannot have such different art styles. It helps you sort of fit the character into different molds. But yep. here, where they're all played by the same actor, it's all they're all kind of shot the same way, scored the same way. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it, it can be very jarring, whereas in the comics, the difference in art and the difference in formats and the difference in coloring and lettering and everything can sort of cue a context shift on the on the, on the the part right. of the reader where you're like, oh, this is the Batman who shows up in Harley Quinn, whereas this is the Batman that shows up in, you know, Killer Smile or whatever, like there's very different versions of the character. But you know from the second you look at the cover, which version to expect, yep. you know, yep. and it's sort of a problem that they, they've done a good job with here, but... You know, can can be a little jarring sometimes when you watch Sarah go from mourning Oliver's death and Legends of Tomorrow to going back uh, to, yeah. in, in the Crisis to go, coming back here and all being of a sudden of being this, the, the yeah, you slide, know, goofier yeah. version where she's hanging out with Ava and everybody else. Um, so Harley Quinn, speaking of, so this is the penultimate episode of the season. So I I learned actually, which I I, I thought maybe I knew, but I didn't know didn't remember for certain. Um, so this is episode 12 of 13, but there are going to be at least 13 more. Okay. So they ordered 26, and they broke it into two 13-episode seasons, or awesome. half-seasons or yeah. whatever you want to call them. So this is going to end, and then we're going to get... So we had talked a few weeks ago, like, oh, is Stargirl going to start in two weeks? I think that that tabletop show that I showed you the promo for yep. is probably going to be the original content that takes over after Harley Quinn is over. right? Because Stargirl isn't supposed to premiere until the second quarter, so maybe April or May. Yeah. So I think that that's what's next after this. And then we'll get more Harley Quinn, maybe after star girl or something like that um and then we get doom patrol season two or or titan season three at that point um so yeah so this was this was a fun one and then we get the big twist at the end where poison ivy is seemingly killed motivating Mm -hmm. her to go into the final battle with the joker um I don't know if that's going to stick or not. I don't know how you do the show without poison ivy. Maybe there's a miraculous resurrection. Maybe after she defeats the Joker, her her, they could do like a heroes in crisis thing. You know, where like a new flower grows, a new poison ivy, but it's like a different personality. Like kind of like how they did in the recent Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy miniseries, where that causes some comedy or drama if she's maybe she doesn't have all of her memories or maybe she's like more plant than person and she's Mm -hmm. got to remind him remind her who she is Mm -hmm. i could see them getting some mileage out of that in the second season or maybe they just keep her off the board altogether but i feel like that's such a you know you can do poison you can do a lot of harley quinn stories without poison ivy you know the current comics do it all the time yeah but this show specifically i really feel like that is the central relationship of the show yeah I I, i don't think you could really take her off the board entirely and have it be the same show. So I think they're probably going to have to do something about that. But it sets up the final episode in a way that we kind of predicted where yeah it's got to come down to her and the Joker yeah at the end I
0: mean both of us were theorizing the same thing and you you phrased it so eloquently that you said that this time like she really has to have some sort of inciting moment where she goes in she has a reason to go in and punch him in the face and and just bloody him up but this time we know that she means it like she knows we know that she's not coming back and I don't think either of us saw this as being the inciting incident that pushes Harley over the edge into complete full-on I'm completely over you like for real for real like I can't stand your living guts type over you um we didn't see that coming but um it's very affecting and it's a heck of a motive so I'm excited for next episode and it was a really sad way to end last episode cuz usually you get that pumped up music and everything else but not so with this one i, I don't know if you noticed that the music even was different to um to to offer a, a, us the viewers a time to mourn and then i'm watching the sad credits with the sad music and then i hear woof woof at the end of the, <laughs> at the end of the credits i'm like you couldn't have suspended that one too <laughs> but okay but it is it it does remind us of the show that we're watching um they continue to just be completely Talented writers and actors and and animators. I'm astounded by the amazing quality of this show. It's really really wonderful. I remember when you told me we were going to be watching this, I was like, oh okay, oh, we'll see how this goes, <sighs> sigh. But um, no, I'm 100 percent on board and it's fantastic.
1: You think you would you think you would trust their pedigree at this point because the, the we have there hasn't been a show on DC Universe that we haven't really liked. I mean the. The closest you could come is maybe season one of Titans, which we enjoyed but had some quibbles with. Yeah, I had season two of Titans, Doom Patrol, Swamp Thing, Young Justice, and now this. Doom Patrol was good,
0: but it was like it had its pluses and minuses. And and I could, you know, I had issues with that one as well. But I mean, this is like flawless and i really enjoyed doom patrol and i enjoyed uh i'm now enjoying titans um but yeah i mean i didn't know what i was getting i was thinking oh man my precious precious harley like what what are they gonna do to my character my one of my favorite uh characters in the universe and and here they just but i mean like literally flawless i can't find a place where i would personally think that there's something that could do with a change or anything like that like i I love the story beats. I love the lines. I love the jokes. I love the fact that in such a short episode, you get so much development and wit and uh, humanity in in one tiny little show. And it's fantastic. It's just fantastic. Um, by my <laughs> my esteemed opinion deems it so, that it's really a flawless show. It's great. Mm-hmm. Fantastic.
1: And so we have Star Trek Picard. This one was called Absolute Candor. Ooh. So um, this episode predominantly, predominantly take play, takes place on this planet uh, Vashti, I think it is, where Picard, as a pit stop on his way to Free Cloud to find mm-hmm. Bruce Maddox, insists that they stop here to pick up a hired gun, essentially, or a hired sword, yes, in the form of uh, Elnor, who's a we
0: didn't know it was an Elnor Romulan landed, warrior though.
1: monk, basically, yeah. um, raised by a sisterhood of like warrior women, basically, mm-hmm. like the Romulan Amazons. For all intents yeah. and purposes, um, a, a, a male raised by them for lack of any better place to put him on this, you know, yeah, because of the relocation planet. program that put them on um, here in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he's so we see the Picard had sort of a parental relationship with this boy. Yeah, fifteen years ago, and now Eleanor resents him for leaving and resents him for the state of this planet and not for keeping in touch and not for coming back. All sorts of other reasons for
0: abandoning him in like what they deemed as the worst possible home for him because this was a sisterhood that raises women warriors and they really felt... It's funny how they were playing with gender roles in this episode because you... you, Well, in one moment at the end, we'll, we're we assuming all of you have seen the show so and you know that Seven of Nine is coming back, so I'm going to spoil the fact that, yeah, she comes back in this episode at the end there. But um I, I was saying to you off-mic how they they refer to that mysterious captain of the shuttle that saved their butts at the end of the fight as a he, 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 beam him aboard, you know, and then turns out to be Seven of Nine. And in this planet, they do the reverse, which is that all of these women are skilled warriors. All of these women are capable of practicing a life of candor, uh, complete candor, which is antithetical to the entire uh, rest of Romulan society, which is um, values, clout, deceit um uh backstabbing lying and and these are skills to get through life but in this one sect they abandon all that and resolve to be completely open and honest because they think that that is a better way to reach a peaceful life and despite this they are amazingly skilled warriors and they don't think that this is a place for a boy to grow up And yet he becomes one of the best warriors there. And um, I I just like that reversal because they can't even give him, officially, they can't even give him the title of, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name. Can you? I think it's like Dorat
1: Dorat Malat or something like that. Something like that,
0: like Kurat Malat or something like that. But he can't even adopt that title because it's so intrinsically um, belongs to um, the female Population that that they can't even call him that, even though that's what he is and that's how he's grown up um, due to circumstance. And I just like that they were playing with these sort of themes as well as a subtext because they weren't pinning any sort of um, tail on it or anything like that. So they were, I I, I don't know. I just like this additional subtext. Well,
1: I I like the way they continue to show Picard as an imperfect person who not, not only made mistakes in the past, but continues to. Despite and he the, values fact, that, his despite own the fact that he's kinding to, well, yeah, I mean, he in the, in the in the past, he you know, he left, and there's nothing much as there was much as there was nothing stopping him from keeping in touch with Rafi and making sure she was okay after yes. everything happened. Same thing here. There was nothing stopping him from coming back to this planet, or at least communicating with them and checking in and making sure everything was okay. But, but he didn't. He was so ashamed, yeah, and so angry, Insulted, and so yeah. and everything that he just he just you know chose Abandoned to go and live his life as a recluse. And even here now, when he comes back, like he beams down, he, he get they get there, and they're like, "Oh, just tell them I'm here, right?" Yeah. And it'll be no problem. He's like, "Oh, that's the first thing yes. we did." <laughs> they don't care. Yeah. We'll have to bribe them, right? Yep. Um, he gets down on the planet, and you know, and then the thing he does later on is he walks up to the Romulans only, yep. saloon, and he takes a little sign off and throws it on the ground. Um, like he doesn't understand the complex. You know, racial or socioeconomic dynamics at work here, and he almost gets killed for it. He's like, he's frustrated. He feels powerless. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, that sign and what it represents is offensive to me, and everything I've fought for my entire I'm, life. And yeah. I'm going to make a stand here, mm-hmm. despite the fact that they don't. Nobody there wants his help. Nobody there wants him to make a stand or cares, mm-hmm. or even understands what he's trying to accomplish. Yeah, he could have gotten cut down in that dirty. Street the street there yeah. and have accomplished absolutely nothing. It would have been completely meaningless death. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't even think that far ahead because he's like, I'm Jean-Luc Picard. I'm going to stand here and make a speech about justice yeah. and, and equality. And everybody's going to like clap. And then the credits will roll. And next week I'll be on to another adventure, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's still operating in a next gen mindset, you yeah. know, yeah. but things don't work that way. <laughs> He yeah. doesn't real basically he doesn't realize he's in a streaming series he still <laughs> thinks he's on broadcast right it's like i'm gonna stand here make a speech uh-huh. and then th- then it's gonna fade out and then next week we'll never hear have to hear about this planet again yep right yeah yeah but it's exactly. like no this is serialized storytelling now picard like your problem your problems are going to continue from week to week yeah <laughs> so it takes eleanor to come in and you know cut some heads off yeah um and, and he still and doesn't
0: life. understand how it works because he's yelling at elnor for
1: um well i thought that was okay that's just that's I just know. mr starfleet man being like life we, we, is, violence is only to right. be used as a last resort you could have gotten me out of there you could have disarmed them you could have injured them even mm-hmm. without killing them instantly and he's like i gave them a choice like it's just it's a difference of it's a cultural difference yes. basically mm-hmm. and, and Picard, it's not that that i thought was okay that was not I mean, one could say it's a little arrogant on his part to give a dressing down to the guy that just saved his life. Yeah. But I feel like he's he is Jean-Luc Picard, and this is his mission. Yes. And if he says no killing, then that's the way it's going to be. And yep. Elnor, I feel like we're supposed to be kind of on that side because Elnor then acquiesces and goes along y- with that. Yeah. Um, How amazing
0: was that move, though? I can't yeah. even follow it. The directing on that, the well, stunt directed, itself so was amazing. So directed by Jonathan Frakes. Yeah.
1: Not necessarily known for his complex stunt work, more for his, you know, ec- the excellent performances he brings out of the actors and just like really clear, competent storytelling. You mm-hmm. know, not not the flashiest of directors. Not not JJ Abrams necessarily. Don't forget the shake scale. The what? Oh the yeah, the <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and I feel like, and this is, it's a good, it's a good episode to deploy him on because I feel like you get. I don't know. I, I feel like you get a different side of Picard here, and it's a side that he's starting to sort of wake wake back up to the guy he used to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like the Picard of the first few episodes wouldn't necessarily have taken the same sort of ultimately stupid, but mm-hmm. the same sort of stand that he tried to take here. Yeah. Like, he probably he hasn't taken a stand in 15 years since he mm-hmm. offered his resignation and they accepted it, right? He's yeah. just been going with the flow ever since then. Even when he went to that Starfleet admiral, and asked for a ship, he was being presumptuous and arrogant. But then when he was told no, he didn't even really stand up for himself necessarily. He just left, right? Yeah. So this is the first time that he's like, he's had enough. He's going to kind of make a stand as pointless as it may be. I feel like having Jonathan Frakes there, I don't know. I felt like maybe I was just reading too much into it because I knew that he was directing this episode. But I feel like it was was smart to have him here because I feel like he and Patrick Stewart have this sort of rapport where he maybe was able to bring out echoes of the past Picard that maybe some new director that had only worked with Patrick Stewart for a few weeks wouldn't necessarily have been able to as much. Not that Patrick Stewart needs a lot of help to to, yeah. to act, but I just I don't know. I feel like I feel like it, it lends it a certain a different a different tone. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it felt it felt it's starting to feel more classic as it goes along and he starts to start acting more like the Picard we know, you know? Yeah. I feel like even even just physically, like you see him in some scenes in the first episode and he's walking with a cane, right? Whereas he's not doing that anymore now like maybe he was his his he was sort of convincing himself that he was more infirm than he actually was just as a way of like mentally handicapping himself like Mm -hmm. no i can't do anything i can't make a difference anymore i'm just this feeble old man right yeah but then when this mission is thrown at him he actually proves to be more capable than he thought he was you know Mm -hmm. even in the face of an actual illness that might kill him shortly right yes yeah so i thought it was really good and then of course seven of nine shows up at the end um, I've, I've heard some speculation about like why she's there, wh- what she was doing in that ship. Because mm-hmm. um, there was a mention at, at some point of uh, some group, the Rangers, that's like trying to keep the peace in this part of space, but they've been overwhelmed because this local Romulan crime lord has basically gotten like an old Romulan warbird, which we see here, like a classic TOS era Romulan ship, yeah. and has been using it to you know enforce his own um, rule. Um, but there's this group called the Rangers that's been trying to keep peace in this part of space. And right. so there's speculation that Seven might be one of them. That's why she's flying like this fighter ship, basically. Yeah. That would be interesting. I, I just from hearing the the interviews after afterwards, you know, you see this episode and you're like, oh, do they know each other? Does Picard know Seven of Nine? Cause yeah. It would be possible because, you know, Voyager returned to Earth and it was several years after that before mm-hmm. Picard retired. Maybe... Picard, we know that Picard knows Janeway because of that one brief interaction in Star Trek Nemesis so maybe they maybe Picard was one of the um, people in charge of like you know, yeah. helping the Voyager crew reacclimate, or maybe he worked with them a little bit or debrief them or something. You could you could make it work. And so maybe he knows seven of nine, maybe he looked her up because he's like, Oh, here come a couple of ex borg. I thought I was the only one. I'm gonna look them up. Mm-hmm. But you could also say, well, maybe that was too painful for him and he'd rather interact with anybody but seven of nine. You yeah. could kind of write it either way. To hear them talk about it they have never met before, he just knows about her by reputation. Um, but what I think, but the, what the interviews seem to be indicate they're going to do here is that while he gave up, she never did. Like Mm -hmm. she might not be with Starfleet anymore, but she's been fighting the good fight ever since, Mm -hmm. ever since we last saw her. Mm -hmm. And she's going to be kind of fed up with Picard because she's like, look, you did all these great things, but then you left. And some of us have been trying to keep, hold things together without you and now you think you can just come back and make some grand gesture and make everything okay. But some mm-hmm. of us have been here actually with our hands in the dirt doing the work for the past mm-hmm. 20 years, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see that thing. Push and so and pull. You could kind of, there's, the way Seven of Nine was left at the end of Voyager, you could spin her character off in any number of different directions. Yes. You could say, oh, maybe she would, the Voyager crew are her family. So maybe she would choose to go with, Captain Janeway on whatever her next posting is or become like um, Admiral Janeway's attache or something like that, right? You could see that. Or maybe she she chooses to go work with like Starfleet Engineering and use her technical expertise to help them devise new ways to defeat the Borg. Right. right? You could see that. Or maybe she chooses to like go into semi-retirement and try to reconnect with the human part of her Mm -hmm. because... There was that one episode where they said, oh, you know, we can look at uh, look up the Hanson family tree and see that you've got, like, these, these great existing great nephews relatives, and so on yeah. on Earth. Maybe when you get back, you can look them up. You could maybe buy that. Or you could do this thing mm-hmm. where, like, she's been – in depending on how you choose to classify her, like, by varying degrees, a soldier – for like as long as she can remember where yeah. she was like a drone for the Borg. Yep. And then she was basically a de facto Starfleet officer and, you know, fighting. She doesn't is, understand
0: the existence of it.
1: She doesn't really know how to relax and never yeah. really did. You know, she rec- knows
0: that she has strength and power to do something about injustices right. in it's the like world, and so that's she's commence, right? It's like her with Naomi
1: commence, right? she never really got that, right? So when her mission with Voyager was over, she would look for another mission. So you could spin her off in any number of different ways, and and you know, it seemingly they chose to go in this direction. We'll see. We'll see more in the next one. But yeah, it was. It's it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, they show up and it's a big surprise, except for the fact that Jerry Ryan's name was in the credits. And if you've been watching or reading any of the like interviews or YouTube videos or convention appearances yeah. or anything leading up to the show, you know what returning cast members are going to be in this and which aren't, and unless a, they've right. got like they, some big surprise wharf appearance in the finale or something that they haven't disclosed. And but. so
0: this one thing I think that would be served well by the Japanese or, uh, system of credits, or at least for Gundam, which we've well, been enjoying. It's not just Japanese.
1: Is to say, yeah, like even the Arrowverse shows is, sometimes will hold a surprise guest star... And say like the last name, like the show goes to black and then it says and Katie and Ann Katie Cassidy right, or whatever right, at right. the end. Like if that's like, a big surprise, you know, and they right. could have done the same thing here.
0: They could have done that. Yeah. And I think I would have appreciated in this case. But no, I'm talking about like the full system where everybody in the cast, no matter what episodes they appear in, is credited in every episode. I think that would be nice also for like not offering too many spoilers unless yeah. of course it was like uh, like like somebody that they didn't announce in it's all a, the press it's, releases it's a contractual like that. thing i think because most i know i know most tv shows insane. will credit all the
1: regulars regardless of whether they're in the episode or so not, but, i understand but yeah. i'm
0: telling you that it would be served like this is a demonstration of why a different system would be better <laughs> yeah. so that um y- the audience wouldn't be spoiled at the very top of the episode. That's kind of a bummer. I think
1: they just, they chose which secrets they were going to keep and which they weren't. And because they'd already had all the press materials with Jerry Ryan doing interviews, it's like everybody knows it's only a matter of time until she shows up. So there's nothing wrong with saying at the beginning of the episode, okay, it's going to be this episode. Right, but But, if they wanted to,
0: I know, but if they wanted to be more exciting about it, they could have credited her. Credited her in every episode, like The West Wing had everybody's credits. In the yeah, final. but again, that's a contractual or, thing. If right. she's
1: only going to be in three or four out of ten, and she's not technically a regular, she's not paid for every episode. Then, then you they should can't have put her name. That, right. So. If they're going
0: to use that system of credits, then they should have put her name at the end, like they said.
1: So that's I think a that yeah, I know I that's know.
0: A, that's actually a contractual point too. By the way, yeah, you have to negotiate to, with
1: the actor mm-hmm. when you're going to do. that because yeah. I remember that sometimes they that they they weren't they're not able to do that. And I, I love
0: Jerry Ryan, but she couldn't have she couldn't have taken know, one for the team maybe like they for I, this one episode she couldn't I, well, take him one for you shouldn't team? assume
1: that it was down to her maybe they just chose her put, agent could maybe be they just chose to put aggressive. it up front for for whatever reason maybe they just it's just the style that they want to go with I don't know.
0: I don't know. But that means that all the rest of them, I'm in danger of being spoiled. So I'm not going to read any credits in the beginning of the show. That's no, the solution I, I, something to Something
1: tells me if they had a real legit surprise, like if, say, Wharf and Geordi show up in the final episode. Right. Like the la- and, and, and Dr. Crusher, like the last three next-gen cast members we haven't seen yet. If they show up in the yeah. se- season finale or something for a surprise scene at the very end, something tells me that they would... Hold those credits until the very end. I think it's simply a question of the fact that if it's something that's out there because we've revealed it, yeah. we're not even going to bother to try to keep it a secret. Fair. Because then, then they would have gotten flack the other direction. If they, if they try, treated it as a surprise, then everybody been, would have been like, "You're treating it like if it was supposed to be a surprise. Why did you have her doing all the interviews? You, you spoiled me." You know, either way, people are going to feel spoiled. Either they, they try to keep it a secret and no. they feel spoiled by the interviews or they put it up front and you feel spoiled by I the think credits. the
0: most important thing is whether or not you see it coming in the episode. And you had it spoiled for you because you saw that credit. And I was looking away for the moment. So I didn't have it spoiled. And for me, my jaw dropped when I saw her beamed on board the deck. I was like, oh, finally, we see her. Oh, that's so good but you already knew that that's who it had to be because it was the last like millisecond of the show in which she appeared and you saw the name in the credits and it totally affected how you interpreted that mood so that's why I'm taking such issue with it because it's such a demonstration of why it sucks to have the name in the front of the credits like for me I didn't know that it was this episode that she was going to be in and I didn't know as I was watching the episode but the whole time you were watching the episode you were like okay is she going to be here? no here? no okay well, well then it has to be I here mean, that's
1: the advantage yeah, of I at the very end of the episode is that I for- I'd forgotten by the time I got there and it was only when they started talking about this mysterious super skilled pilot that you knew shuttle. who it was like, okay, and that's it's probably gonna yeah. be her but it's not like I was spending the whole episode but it does such is a dessert- gonna be in this is she gonna be in this dirty but Romulan some- saloon is she gonna be one of the <laughs> she warrior could be.
0: she could be no but uh, that's what I'm saying like it affects how somebody watches the show and that's a bummer that's a bummer to have it spoiled like that so <laughs>
1: I'm going to have to avoid watching
0: the credits. Yeah, but going the opening
1: credit, the opening credits also reveal which which other actors are going to be in there. I like know. it was the same when you would watch one of the Netflix um, Marvel shows or whatever. Even if someone was technically part of the main cast, they would only be credited for like if like when Vincent D'Onofrio didn't show up till episode 5 of Daredevil or whatever, it wasn't until episode 5 that he was actually credited. I know. So you can kind of tell even amongst the regulars, who's going to be in one of these episodes by the credits, unlike most broadcast TV where... And credits
0: are a form of payment to an actor, especially a working actor. They need to have that in their contract and they need to consider how they're being represented and announced and um, um, promoted. So I understand, but I don't like that it's gotten so nitpicky and so contractual that it actually is starting to affect how the story is delivered like it actually offers spoilers to the people because Two strong negotiations demand that this person's name be put at the front of the show instead of having a cute a special card at the end of the show. And this is a point of contention. That means the difference between how they're paid or whether or not they even do the project or blah, 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 blah. And it's it's like, okay, calm down. Like, do you want to spoil the fact that this awesome character is being in the show? Because guess what? People are gonna know your name. So maybe you hold your horses for a little bit, Mr. Agent Guy, and realize that there's a bigger fan service here at work. And it's about the story and it's about be doing something memorable with your time and if you ruin that moment then that means something you know and maybe you should reevaluate how strictly you want to negotiate credits here come on now that's my stance on it anyway because um, <laughs> either way you're gonna get credits on imdb and that's not gonna spoil anybody for anything so anyway ah uh. Either way, I'm thoroughly enjoying this show. It's awesome, and I can't wait for the next episode. And neither can Will Wheaton. We're watching that as well. <laughs> so if you guys haven't checked out the follow-up um, commentary episodes and interviews that Will Wheaton does, then check that out as well because it's it's equally as fun. So are we done?
1: Yep, that's all of our shows. Okay,
0: sorry about that intro, everybody. I'll do better next time. If you want to reach out to us, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. On Twitter, we are at smartspodcast. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website, everybody, is com. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about
1: crash? Ooh. Like,
0: like a ship crashing against the net?
1: I see. Yeah.